You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Nation-state hacks or criminal capers. It's not always clear, and sometimes it's a distinction without a difference. But in any case, many call for international norms of cyber conflict. Rasputin and Zeus, Waterholes and Catfish. RSA is at its midpoint. We offer some of what we're hearing on the floor about false alarms, where to draw the perimeter, and concerns about the Internet of Things. I'm Dave Bittner, not as usual in Baltimore, but out here in the city by the other bay, San Francisco, covering RSA and offering your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, February 15, 2017. Concerns about nation-state hacking continue to rise. Observers see signs that governments are making increased use of criminal gangs and operations those governments are directing, organizing, or inspiring. The activities of the Lazarus Group may provide a particularly interesting example. Whoever may be directing them, their crimes do seem to chime with the interests of one or two states. And the Internet is looking at you, Russia, and North Korea. FireEye's Kevin Mandia counsels everyone not to expect any markedly reformed behavior from the Russian government. In this regard, observers continue to mull Microsoft's call for international norms that would govern conflict in cyberspace. They might bear comparison with those implied by the new edition of the Talon Manual. Booz Allen Hamilton's Cyber Foresight has an interesting account of the malware used in the watering hole attacks on Polish banks and other financial institutions. Cyber Foresight notes with commendable caution that it's too early for attribution. Polish media initially called it a Russian attack. That's unclear. There are equally compelling signs of purely criminal activity, although here again it's worth recalling the degree to which in many parts of the world there's significant interpenetration among security services and criminal organizations. There are, of course, more familiar banking threats, as might be expected, out in the wild. A new variant of the Zeus Trojan is out and about. The security firm Dr. Webb is tracking it, and it seems only fair for all this stick Russian institutions attract in the security space to mention that Dr. Webb is a Russian company doing some good work on the threat front. Journalists and activists interested in Gulf region migrant worker issues appear, according to Bleeping Computer, to be receiving the ministrations of an as-yet unattributed cyber espionage campaign. That campaign seems to feature catfishing organized around the social media profiles of an apparent young woman known as Safina Malik, evidently the Robin Sage of this particular effort. 
The campaign involves long-term cultivation of targets with the eventual goal of inducing them to visit a watering hole site disguised as a Google login page, whence the victim's credentials are extracted. As is traditional in recruiting for espionage, the catfish, the false persona, professes a common interest in migrant labor laws and in activism. Thus, it might be conceived as a kind of affinity scam. Ransomware continues its predictable evolution. Observers note that the extortionists' preferred target sets are becoming better defined. They're focusing their attentions on what are being called high-value targets, but these would be better characterized as high-payoff targets, those most likely to pay governments, healthcare, and small businesses. In industry news, or more accurately in industry rumor, Google is thought to be shopping for Indian cybersecurity companies. And in legal news, former NSA contractor Hal Martin has pled not guilty to charges he purloined, stashed, and hoarded highly classified information. The probable lines of his defense have yet to emerge, but it seems significant that although charged under the U.S. Espionage Act, he wasn't charged with espionage as such. Some quick notes on RSA as the conference reaches its midpoint. According to experts on the technical, operational, and political aspects of the matter, nation-state operations in cyberspace are expected to increase. Those operations are expected to include espionage, information and influence operations, destruction or disabling of systems and data, and more complete integration with kinetic military operations. Nation-states are also expected to become coyer about how they conduct such operations. The pullback some observers say they see isn't conciliatory. Rather, it's a sign that states are increasingly turning to non-state actors, especially criminal groups, or front organizations. The goal isn't good world citizenship, still less peace. Rather, it's plausible deniability. Some speakers have expressed cautious optimism about Western states' growing ability and resolution to act effectively against cyber challenges, but no one thinks it's going to be easy. Security products go through natural life cycles, and today's protection might not work against tomorrow's threats, but there can be non-technical barriers to making a change. Steve Grobman is Chief Technology Officer for Intel Security. There is a psychological challenge uh, with the products, and what that is is if you think about the way that technology typically operates in an environment, it's most effective when it's first installed. And because of that, there is often a motivation for security operations to choose and deploy a particular technology into their environment. But once adversaries figure out how to evade it or create countermeasures, it often doesn't work nearly as effective. However, there's this psychological issue where the same principles who have advocated for bringing the technology in-house would need to be the ones to very quickly turn around and say it's actually not working and we the right thing to do to maximize return on efficacy for our environment would be to remove it. Uh, that's very difficult for a lot of peoples and managers to say, although I recommended doing a full deployment into our organization last year, this year I'm recommending we remove that. And that, that's one of the reasons we're advocating taking a platform-based approach where you're looking at technologies that can much more easily be introduced into an environment and then optimized, have the right set of technologies operating in an enterprise 
And that includes when things aren't as effective as uh, they need to be from a value perspective. They can either be uh, reduced in scope or very easily remove and uh, leaving that operations team with a high value, high intensity, high efficacy set of technology that remains in their environment. That's Steve Grobman from Intel Security. For unsolved problems in various stages of solution, the biggest challenge still seems to be the false positive problem. Too many security teams continue to be overwhelmed with chattering alerts, and proliferation of point solutions isn't likely to help. The perimeter has clearly contracted to the endpoint, and maybe even to the user or to the app, and there are a number of interesting approaches to defense being offered and discussed. People continue to grapple with the security challenges posed by the Internet of Things, and there's a growing appreciation that the world of operational technology has needs that security, born and bred in the world of information technology, just might not be up to meeting. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Ben Yellen. He's a senior law and policy analyst at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Uh, ben, you know, as we uh, make the transition to uh, the new presidential administration, I think a lot of people are looking back to President Obama's legacy when it comes to uh, civil liberties in the cyber domain. He's received a good bit of criticism when it comes to that. Yeah. So I think a lot of people on the left of center side for the past eight years during the Obama administration there were a group of true believers, folks at the Intercept, the Glenn Greenwalds of the world, who had said things that, you know, despite his orientation as a liberal Democrat, he's been relatively aggressive in using the surveillance state to gain national security information, and people should be concerned about this. There were others on the center left who said, you know, he's Obama, 
We trust him. He's not going to abuse these channels. The problem is once you create the tools, once you use the tools, they're going to get into the hands of people you're not comfortable with. And I think for those people on the center left, that would be the Donald Trump administration. Uh, And that's why I think so many civil liberties advocates were disappointed on January 12th when we found out that President Obama and one of his last acts related to surveillance had rolled back limits on uh, the National Security Agency's surveillance operations. Uh, Previously, uh, the agency would comb through the data uh, and classify certain elements of the data uh, before they send it to the 16 other government agencies that deal with intelligence. Due to the Obama uh, administration's January 12th action, now the raw data collected by the National Security Agency goes directly to these other intelligence agencies. The positive side from the perspective of uh, the administration is that it will be easier to find the needle in the haystack. You get that entire block of raw data. It goes to all the intelligence agencies. It's going to be much easier for one of them to find something that catches their eye. That can be a hint as to uh, you know what a suspect is up to, what a uh, known terror suspect is, is plotting. The negative aspect of it is that it can also reveal information from people who are perfectly innocent. It's more likely that amongst that raw data, you're going to have irrelevant information, information either unlawfully collected or incidentally collected. I think the timing certainly did uh, raise some eyebrows, uh, but obviously the president was conscious of that. Uh, what are people on the other side saying? Or, or is it a point that um, this is a, the president merely uh, handing the next administration a better set of tools to do the jobs that they're tasked with? I mean, I think, you know, every president who's come into office promising to curtail the power of the surveillance state gets into office, sees the awesome power that the surveillance state uh, affords them, and realizes that they're responsible for preventing terrorist attacks. And I think that's exactly what happened with President Obama. He had come in as a critic of some of the Bush administration's uh, surveillance practices. But by the end of his administration, he had he was a strong believer in some of these surveillance tools. Even though he signed the USA Freedom Act, he originally had been a supporter of the bulk uh, metadata program to collect uh, the metadata of phone calls from almost all uh, domestic users. He had been a a supporter of foreign intelligence uh, surveillance operations. And I think, at least in his view, it it significantly contributed to the lack of a substantial 9-11-style terrorist attack during uh, his administration. So I think he genuinely uh, believes that these tools are important uh, to combat terror threats. And no matter who the next president is or not, I think knowing that they – these tools are valuable. He wanted to give that that president at least the availability of these surveillance tools. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.